Welcome to Ottawa Valley Vineyard, where we simply want to help you encounter Jesus, be transformed, and share His love. is we want to hit the next section in a series that we're calling Foundations. Uh, and so the, the series, there's really two thoughts kind of behind the series. So the first is this, that as we seek to understand the message of Scripture, that the Old Testament is intrinsically linked to the New Testament. And so if we want to understand what the New Testament is saying, if we want to have a deeper understanding of, of what, is, yeah, what does it mean, when Jesus comes, we were just talking about Passover, right? These questions of what, what is the Old Testament or what is the New Testament saying? In order to really have an appreciation and to really understand that, we have to have more than just a cursory understanding of the Old Testament, right? The better that we understand the Old Testament, the better that we're going to understand the message of the New Testament. And so we, we wanted to take some time. We said, okay, well, maybe we'll take some time and we'll just kind of uh, in recognition of this, we'll go back through some of the key pieces, the key stories, the key characters, the key themes of the Old Testament. Seek to understand those better. And then in seeking to understand those better, I think we understand just all of, all of Scripture better. So there's that. And then we also wanted to zoom in on this question. And if you've been listening, I'm sure that you've heard this kind of reference in a number of different sermons. There's kind of been, in a number of different sermons and even series, there's kind of been this theme of Okay, what is discipleship? Like, how does discipleship work? How are we transformed? And uh, so we also kind of wanted to ask this question of how does God transform us? And we thought one of the best ways to do this is probably to look at some of the heroes of the Old Testament, right? Some of the heroes of the faith. And as we look at their lives, we can kind of see, okay, well, this is how faith was grown in their life. This is, this is what God did. This is what he said. This is how he interacted with them. This is what brought them from a place where they, maybe they didn't even know God to a place where they're now considered a hero of the faith. So if you're wondering what our motivations are in the series, that's probably, that's the two things that we kind of were background to choosing the whole thing. And uh, before we really start, I want to echo something that has also been said in uh, a number of different sermons, which is we are not I'll repeat that. We are not going to be able to do this extremely in depth. So, I mean, any one of these characters, you know, a whole series could be done on any of them. Um, And today we're going to be talking about Moses. And so what I'm not doing today is working through Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That would take a very long time. So this um, this is the only time that I'm going to apologize for this. But this is really big. There's a lot of stuff. So if you're expecting an analysis of those four books, that is not what's happening. Um, what we're going to do is we're going to frame this in a way that we're going to look at kind of Moses' story as a whole. We'll uh, mention a couple of the high points, and then we're going to pull out just a couple major themes, um, and specifically through the book of Hebrews. So anyway, so that's the way that we're, that we're going to do it. So let's, uh, let's jump into it. So let's start with just a recap of Moses's life. Um, so the story of Exodus, right? So we've been, we just finished talking about Joseph and that kind of finishes off Genesis. And right after Genesis is the book of Exodus. Um, and Exodus, it picks up on the promise that God made to Abraham that we talked about a couple weeks ago, right? And, and this is the promise of through you and your family, all the nations are gonna be blessed. 
Through you and your family, all the nations are going to be blessed. This is part of God's plan, right? This is how God is going to take humanity that has fallen, that is sinful, that has turned its back on him, that is rebellious, that is broken, that is suffering. This is how God is going to take this and redeem it, take this and bring healing. And so the rest of scripture is going to follow and trace this promise. And until we get to the New Testament, we're going to, we're going to see how that promise actually is fulfilled and has worked out. And if you've listened to, heard the words like here and not yet, right? The kingdom of God is not yet here in full. Like there's still future to that. But so all of scripture is kind of filling out this promise. Through you and your family, all the nations are going to be blessed. So Israel, uh, like we are talking, uh, Jacob, Israel, Uh, And all of his children, they moved to Egypt to escape a famine, right? That's what we talked about last week. There was a famine. They all ended up in Egypt at the end of that story. And so when Exodus begins, the book of Exodus, there's been 400 years that have passed. So the Hebrews have been blessed. The Hebrews continued to multiply. Uh, They had good land. They, yeah, they multiplied in numbers. And it got to a point where the Egyptians felt threatened by them. They said, if we have enemies that come against us and the Hebrews decide to turn on us, we're done. So there is a problem and we have to do something about it. And their solution is we are going to enslave them. We're going to enslave them while we can still control them so that they can't turn against us. And so the people of Israel, uh, God's people, the people that uh, Abraham's children are enslaved and uh, uh, used to, to build and use for forced labor. And so this is what Moses is born into, right? Moses is born in Egypt while his people, while the Hebrews are slaves to the Egyptians. He's raised actually by Pharaoh's daughter who takes pity on this abandoned baby that she finds floating in a basket. And so Moses, born of an enslaved people, is raised in the palace of Pharaoh. So in this way, you kind of have, uh, he's a little bit of two worlds here. We fast forward about 40 years because we're moving quickly and Moses sees an Egyptian beating one of his people, right? He, he ends up murdering the guy. And then in order to avoid punishment, he runs away into the desert. And then for the next 40 year period, he begins his life as a shepherd. Um, And we're just recapping major events here. So while in the wilderness, he meets God. God Uh, shows up to him in the form of a burning bush. God reveals his name. God actually appoints Moses. He says, go back to Egypt, demand the release of my people. And so God has at this point decided to step in. God has decided to redeem his people. He's decided to break their chains. He's decided to free them from their slavery. And he's decided to use Moses to do that. Moses takes a little bit of convincing, but after Moses has, uh, delivers his excuses and God rebuffs them, Moses agrees. So Moses goes back to Egypt. He demands the release of the Israelites, God's people, right? And then Moses returns. And if you're familiar with the biblical story of plagues, this is where those happen. Um, the Pharaoh does not agree right away. There's a number of different flag, plagues. And then the Israelites end up crossing the sea into the wilderness, um, after, after they cross the sea, you have Sinai, you have the covenant, you have 40 years of wandering as uh, Moses and the people of Israel uh, make their way to the promised land. And uh, each event here kind of sees Moses kind of move forward into this role of prophet, of priest, of king. So that's, a, that's the quick summary. 
okay? Um, basically, it's rough, uh, broken down into three parts, roughly. There's three 40-year segments, right? There's 40 years where he grows up in Egypt. There's 40 years that he spends as a shepherd. And there's 40 years that he spends as the leader of the redeemed Hebrews in the wilderness. And so, as we, as we look at this broad swath and we're like, hmm, what are we going to talk about? Um, I want to tackle this in light of Hebrews chapter 11. And so, this is Hebrews chapter 11, verses 24 to 26. And we'll spend the rest of our time just in these verses. Uh, it says this, I'll read them out loud. It says, By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt, because he was looking ahead to his reward. And let's just focus in on this first. By faith, Moses, when he'd grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God, rather than enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. So when Pharaoh's daughter finds the infant Moses in the Nile, she adopts him, right? She brings him up as her own son. And so Moses grows up in the household of Pharaoh. And so this is, he's benefiting from the teachers, he's benefiting from the food, he's benefiting from the wealth. Um, He has all the advantages of social position. And as Moses grows, he eventually becomes more and more aware of who he is. Um, he comes to know at some point that he's actually a Hebrew. He's actually not an Egyptian. Um, he also becomes aware that his people are enslaved to the Egyptians. Um, his people are being oppressed. His people are held in bondage, really, by his own family. Um, the wealth, the status that he enjoys, that he lounges in, all of the good stuff that he experiences is built on the back of the oppression of his own people. And I don't know when this realization hits him because we're not told. I mean, I imagine this is probably gradual, but eventually he reaches a place where the evilness of his situation, it it chafes at his soul and he has to choose, right? So will he do something about this or will he harden his heart and embrace a life of luxury and ease and comfort in the face of this? Um, Will he act or will he passively accept life as it is? And um, spoiler alert, right? He chooses to act. He chooses to side intentionally with his people. So Moses casts his lot in with his people. He chooses to reject the life of Pharaoh's court. He rejects the power. He rejects the prestige. He rejects the money in order to do what's right. He rejects the wealth and the status made off of the slavery of his people. When faced with wealth and status or doing what is right, he chooses what is right. And Moses' rejection of the Egyptian royal life, I think we can safely say that this cost him. I mean, it cost him his family, I mean, not blood family, but the family he would have grown up with. I'm sure it it cost him that. It cost him, I'm sure, friends and and relationships, the people that he would have grown up with. Uh, In saying no, he chooses privation. He chooses contempt. He chooses ridicule. And and here's where there's a theme that I want to kind of pull on and and move it forward maybe to our time. And, And that is that there are times when the right thing to do is to say no. Or there are times when the right thing to do is to reject certain things. Um, Moses' faithfulness in this moment demands that he reject Egypt. Um, It demands that he leave it behind. 
And just to clarify what I mean here, so it's a, uh, I think it's important to say that this rejection, right, this is not something that happens passively. Actually, the passive thing would have been just to accept it, right, or, or to not think about it too hard, or to not look too closely at it. There is an active rejection of what is evil. There is an active and a meditated rejection of what is sinful. Um, doing the right thing, being faithful, I think we can take this out of the story, will often require doing the hard and difficult thing of asking God what things in our life we ought to say no to, and then saying no, and actually turning our back on those things. And just as I make this point, there's just two things that I want to kind of highlight here. And the first is that in Moses' case, this this rejection can't happen passively. Um, and I think that's true of us. I think there's things that we're called that uh, I, I don't think we're going to take that step if we treat it as something passive. Um, to reject, to leave something behind, it, it involves a couple steps. It at least means that we have to identify it, right? And after we identify it, we then have to make this conscious choice to leave it behind for the sake of Christ. And I'm going to say that we can't identify these things if we don't spend time with God in prayer, that we're not going to be able to identify these things if we're not asking God, how can we draw closer? How can we move towards you? What things uh, in my life would you have me say no to? What things in my life are hindering me or holding me back? So that's the first thing. And then the second thing I just want to highlight is that the heart of sin is disorder, right? The heart of sin is missing the mark. It is uh, operating in the way that we were never meant to operate. It is turning our back on God. It's, it's the disordering of desires. It's, it's uh, being in a place where we're, we're messed up and we're not rightly ordered. God made us a certain way. And so when we act in sin, we are expressing our disorder and we're expressing our brokenness. Rejecting what is sinful is to move towards what is good. Rejecting what is sinful is to move towards God, is to become more like who God would have us be. Um, so we should say no intentionally, out of reflection, with an eye on the prize that is moving towards what is good. Um, so maybe, maybe uh, <laughs> I'm not sure how much of that is coming across. I guess that's the trouble of speaking on one side, right? Um, some of you are going to say like, okay, Matt, you're saying we have to reject things. Um, well, that's obvious, you know, and you're like, I think there's probably some truth speakers out there among you that are like, mm, I have no problem with this at all. And then I think there's some of you, if you're going to be like me, you're going to have a strong people-pleasing streak. And especially if that no involves saying no to people, um, if you're like me, you're going to have a really hard time with it. And I think our culture, just in general, and this is me just comparing it to my experience, I think that our culture may have a problem with the no, with the word no, just in, in general. I think our culture puts a high value on not offending each other, right? Uh, high value on not rocking the boat. Don't make people feel uncomfortable. Actually, if it's going to make them feel uncomfortable, it's probably better to lie to them about it. Or if, um, yeah, just like, you know, or if like sharing what you think, someone's going to be offended by it, just don't do it. Like, and, and I guess I'm saying there's a danger in wanting to please people. Um, there's a danger in not speaking your mind. There's a danger in not creating spaces for people to express and to work through what they think. And, and I think that there's a danger that we will sacrifice truth and faithfulness 
on the altar of comfort or on the altar of not being offensive. I think there's a danger here that we will care more about our image. There's a danger that we will care more about how we're seen than we will care about what's right. And as we seek to be faithful and as we seek to grow in faithfulness, there will be times when we have to say no, even at the expense of benefits, right? Even at the expense of finances, even at the expense, possibly, of friends. Faithfulness demands that we be willing to do what is right, regardless of the cost. And so I've been, um, I've been purposely vague here about the types of things that we might have to say no to. Um, I've been purposely vague about the things that we might have to reject. Um, the reason for that is that I don't completely know your story, right? I'm not sure what it is that God may be calling you um, to say no to. I think in the past, the church would have, or, or some groups of believers would have kind of drawn hard lines here, right? They would have said, uh, well, you should say no to cards, and you should say no to movies, and uh, you shouldn't say no to having any kind of friendship with anyone who's not a believer. Um, and I think a lot of the lines that we've drawn in the past have probably been largely legalistic. Here's where I'm being a little bit critical. Um, and have sometimes been unloving. And in the cases where they've been unloving, those lines have actually been ungodly and not like Jesus. But for Moses, he, it was wealth that he had to say no to. He had to say no to reputation. He had to say no to friends. He had to say no to family. He had to say no to riches. He said no to home, right? This was his homeland. This is all he knew. He said no to comfort. And I don't know that we're being called to give up those things, though maybe, maybe you are, right? I think it's in prayer and in walking with God that maybe it becomes more clear what it is that we're supposed to say yes to and what it is that we're supposed to say no to. And so while I don't know what it is you're called to say no to, I think we can know uh, this one thing, right? We can know that to live faithfully and to grow in faith is to go deeper, or sorry, to go deeper, we have to possess a character that is willing to say no to things for the sake of what is right, right? So that's no to certain habits, that's no to certain hobbies, that's no to certain people, that's no to certain relationships, that's no to certain purchases, that's no to certain lifestyles, that's no to certain reputations. Um, and we say no to certain things so that we can say yes to other things. Um, and this principle, this is this is radically transformed the way that I think. Um, that is, saying yes to something is saying no to something else. Saying no to something is saying yes to something else. So just for an example, right? If I choose to embrace um, a certain habit or a certain sin, and I'm like, you know what? I fought hard enough. I, you know, I know that it's bad, but I actually want to embrace this thing, and I. I or I don't want to go far enough in order to get rid of this because it's really not that bad. I'm just going to embrace it. By saying yes to that, we are turning down a more, a closer walk with Jesus. And so in a way that no, or sorry, that yes is also a no, right? That yes to a certain habit or to a certain sin or a certain um, expression of brokenness, that yes is a no to Jesus, uh, and I, I guess I just want to tie that idea together. Like, uh, yeses and noes don't happen in isolation. When we say yes to one thing, there's an implicit no in something else. If Stefan says, hey, Matt, I want to, I really think you're really cool and I want to hang out with you. If I say 
yes to uh, yes to Stefan. Yes, Stefan, I think you're cool too. I would like to hang out with you. That means that I, I don't I can't have any other plans for that day, right? Like my yes to to Stefan means no. Um, I'm not going to spend my time with you, wife, even though I love you, because I've made other plans, I've made other commitments. Um, we are limited people, right? We can only do so much. We only have so much time. So I think there's kind of a question here, or the question that kind of sits on my heart here is, what are the things that we want to say yes to? And I think that as we decide on the things that we want to say yes to, there's, a, there's an intrinsic, okay, what are the things that I am to say no to? And then there's uh, courage and there's, there's actually intentionality in saying, okay, I, I will reject this. I will leave this behind. I will choose not this. And uh, so I just want to temper this a little bit on the back end. And, and this is like a huge topic and I don't know that I've outlined it the best either. This is, <laughs> there's a lot to be said here, but I think I, I do, I want to add this little tempering piece, which is some of you are, are, might hear this and you might say like, you know, like I don't care what people think about me like at all. I have no regard for people's feelings. I have no problem saying no, like at all. Like I must be so godly. Um, and I think what we're saying is like it touches on some of the elements in there, but I just want to read a section of Paul just to kind of balance it out in case you're leaning that way, which is 1 Corinthians 13, 3, right? If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing, right? So, I mean, if I say no to everything and I don't care about people's feelings and I really have no regard for how people, like, you know what I mean? I'm concerned about truth, but I'm not concerned about love, then that's not really true, right? Let's make sure that in everything, in in the yeses and the noes that we give, that we have love. Okay, so here, just just to wrap that up, right? So we've been talking about Moses, and one of the things we said here is uh, that this ability to say no, right? To be intentional, to reflect, to choose what it is that we want, and then to choose to say no to certain things so we can actually get to what it is that we want. to say no as we chase what is right, that is a powerful thing. Um, and that's going to be so much better than just drifting along on whatever currents there are that we want to drift on. Um, but Moses did more than just say no, right? He did more than just reject Egypt or there's more to the story, right? And so here's where there's a couple questions, which is, well, why, why did he do this? Um, why did he choose hardship over ease? Why, why did he choose what was right over what was easy? Why did he choose freedom for his people? Um, aside from just lounging in the palace of Egypt, right? With everything that he could ever want. Why did he do this? And this is where I think verse 26 uh, tells us why. It says, he regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. So why did he do this? Why did he reject Egypt and all of its luxury. And I think Moses weighed these issues, right? He weighed them in his mind. And his conclusion was that the temporal wealth of Egypt was far less valuable than the kingdom of God. To be close to God, to be close to his people, to to be identified with the people of God, that was something worth giving up Egypt for. So what others, others would have looked at that, right? And they would have said, this is crazy. Um, They would have shunned him for this. That thing, he kind of sees this as this is the prize. This is the treasure in the field. This is what we should seek after. This is what we should want. And I'm willing to give up all things for this. Uh, What things were gained to him, he counted as loss for knowing 
Christ. At the core of Moses' thinking seems to have been this concept that knowing God and walking with him is of far greater value, far greater value than anything that Egypt had, right? Far greater than the things that he gave up, far greater than money, far greater than reputation, far greater than wealth, far greater than popularity. All these other things that we'd hold up, they all pale and kind of disappear. They lose their color when put against this overarching great thing. Um, It's worth far more than large banquets and lots of food. It's far more than possibly some kind of ruling over a province or a country. Yeah, far more than that. And this is maybe a little bit, just to fill in some of the background details, this is maybe a little bit more wild of a statement than appears at first, right? He's living in one of the greatest nations in the world at the time. He is part of the royal family. He has all that he could want. I'm sure he didn't lack for anything. He had the best, uh, the best clothes, the best food, the best servants. He had anything he wanted. I'm, I'm sure of it. I mean, I got life insurance recently and I had to add up everything that I owned, right? And value it. And Moses's net worth is a lot greater than mine. And that's even accounting for 4,000 years of inflation. It's just, it's a lot, a lot more than what I have. And key to understanding this concept is uh, this word value, right? So he considers, he thinks, he regards, he looks at the value of everything that Egypt has. And then he looks at the value of walking with God and he says, following God is surpassingly better. And I think we could look at that, right? Depending on our worldview or where we are, we can look at that and we can say, well, isn't that, that's a little bit crazy, right? Like you don't mean, you don't mean surpassingly better. You mean like a little bit, but no, I, I think he means surpassingly better. But that's, that's crazy. Why would he give this all up to spend the rest of his life in the desert? Like maybe he just really liked camping. Why did he, why did he do that? And here's, here's the rub. I actually don't know what that means. Here's the rub. I think of like wings, but I don't think that's it. But here's the rub. Here's where the friction is. What is it about following God that makes it the better option? What is it about Jesus that makes him more valuable than all the riches of the world? And I don't know exactly how Moses thought about this, but I want to throw some things out there that I think biblically the the Bible puts forward and says, this is surpassingly better. Let me explain why it's surpassingly better. Um, And I think that there's probably more than what I'm going to show you, but I'm just going to show you three quick points, okay? Three quick reasons scripture puts forward as to why Jesus is worth more than all the treasures of Egypt. And so number one, um, scripture says God created us. Uh, God knows what fulfills us, right? God knows what it means to be fully human. I mean, we see this in Genesis uh, we're told that God creates us, right? Creates us in his own image. We, we see this in uh, the incarnation, Jesus coming down. God knows what it is to be human. He knows us. He knows who we truly are. I think there's a lot of talk today about discovering who we are on the inside, right? Or discovering our true selves or trying to peel back social influences. And how do we, how do we know who we really are on the inside? And I think this search for authenticity is this desire to be all that we were created to be. And scripture speaks to this and it says, um, it reveals to us a God who knows our inner workings. 
He knows our hopes. He knows our joys. He knows our fears, our needs. He knows our desires, every single one of them. And he actually knows them better than we know them. He also knows how best to meet them. And he knows that better than we do. Um, He has the complete instruction manual on the human being. Uh, And not only does he have it, he actually wrote the instruction manual. And so scripture presents a God who knows us intimately. And in addition to this, we, we cannot be known better than he knows us. So that's, that's reason number one. Uh, reason number two, as scripture says, God is good, right? Jesus is going to say, no one is good except God alone. God's goodness is complete. Um, God's goodness defines every part of him. There's no part of God that is not good. There is no part that is evil. There's no part that is capricious. There is no part that is malevolent. There is no part that is sadomasochistic, right? He is completely good in every part, just. He is completely loving. And so scripture presents us with a God who loves us deeply. Um, a God who wants what is best for us. And the final point just that I'll make here, because I'm sure there's more. Um, Finally, scripture says God is the source of life. And if we choose, we will spend eternity with him, right? Jesus is going to say, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Jesus promises an eternal life spent in relationship with God. And, and so I think, I think when we crunch these together, right, we put the three of these things together, I think we begin to understand some of that value that Moses saw. I think we begin to understand why Moses looked at the two of them and he said, I am choosing the people of God. Uh, we begin to understand why he looked at Egypt and he said, this, as great as this is, this, this is worth nothing. Um, to know God is incomparably greater, right? On the one hand, there's the treasure of Egypt, Um, fleeting. It has an expiry date. And on the other hand, there's eternity spent in the presence of an all-loving creator who desires to know us, who desires to walk with us, and who loves us, Um, who knows the deepest part of us, and who promises to fulfill those, who promises to take the broken parts of our lives and radically transform them into something beautiful, into something new. You have Egypt, Versus an eternal existence in the presence of God who knows us and loves us. And that's an existence that isn't just future-oriented, right? That's an existence that begins now. It begins the moment that you say, Jesus, um, I want that treasure. I want what it is that you have. Please show me. Please speak to me. I want to follow you. I want to know you. Help. Um, When you start to do the math on this, uh, I suck at math but I can work at least with infinite numbers. (laughs) When you start to do the math with this, you have infinite good versus finite pleasure. And I think that very quickly, even I can understand, that very quickly begins to favor being a part of the people of God. And so there's, of course, other questions, which maybe some of those will come up. So um, please, if you have questions, please throw them in the chat. We'll, We'll have a question and answer time after this. Um, there's no more that could be said, right? We can we can talk Pascal's wager if you want. Um, but yeah, feel free, to throw, feel free to throw questions in the chat. There's obviously more to be said. 
Um, but let's, let's kind of start to wrap this up. At the beginning of the sermon, we said we wanted to zoom in on the question of how God actually transforms us. How does God cause our faith to grow? How does God uh, provide or, or produce spiritual maturity in us, right? We said, what in Moses's life can help us understand this? And I think there's at least two things that we can mention here as we ask that question. Uh, and then we can look to apply, right? And that's one, um, we can better understand the treasure that is presented to us in Jesus. And I think that the better that we understand that treasure, um, the easier it is for us to be to to say no to the things that we ought. And as we as we better understand the treasure, we decide yes, we want that. And the more that we decide yes, we want that, the more that we say no, we don't want these other things. We want this thing that is surpassingly greater. We want the fullness of the human experience. We want fullness of joy, fullness of love, fullness of hope. Um, we want, we want that. Um, and I think secondly, I think the second thing that we can take from this is that life is a series of choices. Um, we cannot say yes to everything. And so we have to pick and choose. And it's going to be easier just to kind of go along and to not be critical and to kind of just, you know, it, like it, it's easier if you're just kind of like, oh, I'll do this thing I like and then we'll see where this ends up. You know, if I don't think too hard about something, then I never have to reject anything. Um, and I think I would just say that we cannot say yes to everything. Saying yes to some things means saying no to others. Um, let's be a people who, with a clear view of what really matters, right? Let's be a people that are willing to say no to the things that would ensnare us, say no to the things that would hold us back, and let's say yes to everything that God has planned for us. Let's say yes to everything that God has planned for Carlton Place, um, for OVV. Let's say yes to that. And let's walk forward in that. And that's going to require saying no to some things. So let's just go in with eyes wide open and let's actually say yes to that. And let's invite the Holy Spirit and let's see what happens. Uh, and I just want to close with this thought. Um, the infinite good that we've been talking about, right? This treasure in the field. This is available to us right now. Um, Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary all you who are burdened, and I will give you rest. And I guess there's a couple questions just that I want to finish on, right? Will we, I'm including myself here, will we trust Jesus and will we lean more fully into what he has for us? Uh, what is it that we want? Are we willing to leave sin behind in order to move forward into beauty, in order to move forward into goodness, in order to move forward into life? Um, Will we say yes to Jesus and everything that he has for us and for our town? And uh, Jake, you can come and pray for us if you like. Thanks. Let's, uh, let's pray. Um, wow. Hmm. Elsewhere in the, in the Bible where we're looking at, it might even be somewhere similar to Hebrews 11, um, it says that these people in the Old Testament long to look into the things that we now get to see through Christ. And today we took communion to celebrate the, um, the, the, the culmination, like Jesus forgiving us, giving us access to new life is access for us to see all that these people, Moses, Abraham alike, longed to look into. There's a closer relationship with God available that even they hungered for that's available to us. Like we really believe that. And God, we just respond in saying, um, yes, 
I just thank you for this crazy mystery that that average people that like us <laughs> um, in our homes on a Sunday morning can say yes to you in our hearts and say, I, 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 want, I want that treasure in the field. Yeah. I want to know you. <laughs> for the Christian who's been uh, a Christian for many years or for somebody who maybe is with us just for the first time, I just pray that we would all say yes in our hearts. God, to all that you would invite us to, to the, the treasure hidden in the field, to the bold, brave decisions like Moses for a greater treasure. Don't let us get tricked, God, by um, the riches of uh, Pharaoh's household. Let us follow Moses' example. Let us, um, yeah, I just feel almost like I want to apologize in a sense for how Christians may have um, sold out this treasure in the field for not being as good as it truly is. And maybe at times, even I'm saying sorry for myself, but um, if it really is that good, I pray that just each of us, God, would dare to find that for ourselves. That we wouldn't look at those around us or even those who've gone before us and just feel like it doesn't really seem like they know something that amazing. What are these guys talking about? It sounds so idealistic. Let us be bold and to, to, to seek you with our own hearts and to say yes, God, in our own hearts. Thank you for your kingdom come near through Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you for this invitation. Yeah, we just say yes, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us. To connect to the ministries of Ottawa Valley Vineyard, visit ovv.ca.